This is the Joyful Weight Loss Podcast, and I'm your host, Sarah Wells, MD. Listen in each week, and I'll share from science and scriptures that encourage you in how to cultivate healthy habits so you can lose extra weight and gain more health while cultivating joy. Be sure you are following the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Now, let's dive into this week's topic. Hello and welcome back. I hope that y'all are doing well. Um, So for today's episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about the link between obesity and cancer um, and what the association is about, why there's a seems to be a connection, and also what you can do about it and why even if you have a hard time with losing weight, you can still make changes that decrease your risk for cancer, even if you don't see the numbers on the scale improving. So I hope that at the end of this episode, you can be reassured that there are things that you can do to decrease your cancer risk, even though we see that there are associations between obesity and several cancer types. This information is for educational and informational purposes only and solely as a self-help tool for your own use. I am not providing medical, psychological, or nutrition therapy advice. You should not use this information to diagnose or treat any health problems or illnesses without consulting your own medical practitioner. Always seek the advice of your own medical practitioner and or mental health provider about your specific health situation. For my full disclaimer, please go to www.joyfulweightloss.com forward slash disclaimer. So let's start out with talking about um, the cancers that are associated, um, that you're at increased risk with if you have extra body fat, that obesity drives risk factors for these cancers up. And it appears that it's around 50% of cancers that are um, increased in risk when you are obese. And, and this is hard to hear. It's, it's frustrating. There's already a lot of other things that are challenging for people who struggle with obesity. And the last thing we want to hear is that, oh, also 50% of cancers you're at increased risk for. Well, one thing we can do is kind of tease out why, what is this, what is the driver between this link? And what are the factors that we can modify? Even if we struggle with getting that extra weight off or keeping it off, it is good to know that there are actually other steps we can take to mitigate that risk, to decrease that risk. And so knowing that information can really help us move forward into decreasing our risk back down some for these cancers that are concerning. Um, So what are, you know, what what are the things that um, we need to know? Well, let's talk about mechanisms. There are a number of physiologic mechanisms by which obesity is seems to be connected to cancer. And we probably are not aware of all of them right now. Um, there's always more information in science that we're trying to find out. And sometimes in science, um, science just brings us more questions when we do experiments sometimes. So um, this is an evolving, growing knowledge base. And for some of these, it might not be that one thing is causing the other versus there are things that are causing the obesity that are also promoting the cancer. So it could be that it's not one thing causing the other all the time. And the good news is that a lot of these so-called things causing both obesity and cancer are lifestyle choices 
that you can make steps to change. And then when you see that and you can change them, you see a decrease in both your obesity and in your cancer risk. And the other good news is that even when you're working on lifestyle changes and you're seeing changes in your habits, yet you're continuing to struggle with actually seeing the extra weight come off because y'all, our physiology works really hard to hold on to extra weight, okay? But if you're continuing to be steadfast in the habits you're working toward maintaining, you can still be decreasing your risk of these associated cancers by taking these lifestyle steps that decrease things like your circulating insulin levels with the way you eat, decreasing your inflammation by the way you eat, and improving your immune function um, by what you feed your gut bacteria and other things. So, and we'll get into more of that in this episode. So what all are these drivers? What seem to be the things that connect obesity and cancer association? Well, first of all, like I mentioned just a minute ago, increased levels of inflammation. Okay. And I've talked about inflammation in a whole lot of other episodes. Um, But, you know, when we are eating certain foods, especially processed foods, we are driving up inflammation and the inflammatory state. When we eat um, processed seed oils, industrially processed seed oils, that is driving up the inflammatory state. When we um, just stress in general um, can increase our inflammatory state. And so um, what we want to do is we want to address this inflammatory state with changing what we're putting into our body. We want to take in more antioxidants. We want to get in more natural foods. We want to get in more berries, more cruciferous foods. These things will help to decrease in inflammation. And to get more information on decreasing inflammation, go back to my episodes on that and I go deeper into infl- inflammation specifically. Um, the second area of um, where there seems to be a link and um, some kind of connection between obesity and the association with these cancers is the impairment in immune function. Now the immune function, one of the features of our immune system, you know, a lot of times we think of immunity and we just think of colds and flus and, you know, just different germs that our immune system fights off. Well, another thing that our immune system does that's really important is that it has search and destroy functions for cancer cells. So, you know, that's a really, really neat thing designed into our immune system that we have these patrolling kind of cells that will track down, search and destroy abnormal cells. Well, when our immune system has dysfunction, we can see a real um, impact in that search and destroy function. So one of the things that can decrease our immune function is what's happening in our gut. Our immune system, a lot of it lives around our our gut, our, our intestines, and the microbiome that we have in our gut impacts the function of our immune system quite um, dramatically. So if we have a really healthy mix of bacteria in our gut, our immune system will be impacted in a healthy way. If we have a terrible mix of different bacterial species that are populating um, or overwhelming our gut, then we're going to see a negative impact on our immune system. Um, And then now you might be thinking, well, what can I do about this? Well, feed your gut bacteria the right foods. You're going to have a lot of different species of different bacteria in there, and you want to feed the good ones, 
Okay. The good ones will give good byproducts to your body. So you're basically feeding bacteria so that they give your body good things. Um, and those good things go on to impact your immune function. And um, then that helps in, improve the search and destroy function of your immune function. And then that will help with fighting off these cancer cells. So what does that look like practically? It looks like eating a lot of good fiber, leading, eating a lot of soluble, soluble fiber, insoluble fiber. And I'm not talking about processed bars. I'm talking about fruits and vegetables and, um, you know, choosing some, um, some fermented products, maybe like sauerkraut regularly, um, getting in some, um, yogurts and things like that, that can really not, not sugar sweetened yogurts, <laughs> just to clarify. Cause if you look in the yogurt aisle in the store, I mean, it's the variety is endless, but almost all of them are packed with sugar. So do not get the kind with sugar in them. Uh, but just look for fiber, especially and fruits and vegetables and ways, you know, beans, whole unbroken grains. These things will feed the good bacteria in your gut. And then you also want to starve down the population of the damaging bacteria. Well, you might be wondering what do the damage, damaging bad bacteria eat? What are the bad bacteria, um, you know, what makes them grow? Well, I'll tell you, sugar. <laughs> sugar makes the unhealthy bacteria multiply. So the less sugar you eat, the less um, the smaller that population of bacteria will be. Um, so you kind of want to starve it down most of the time. I mean, if you're having a little sugar here and there, um, that's one thing. If you're regularly feeding lots of sugar to these bacterial populations, then they are going to overgrow the good bacteria and your immune system will suffer. So these are practical things you can do. So I talked about, first I mentioned inflammation. Next, I talked about immune function. And next I'm going to talk about um how your extra fat acts like an endocrine organ. And I've mentioned that before, but what that means is when you're carrying large amounts of extra fat or even small amounts of extra fat, that extra fat acts like its own organ emitting um, hormones, okay? Estrogen, specifically estrogen, extra estrogen. So when you're seeing an increase in certain cancers, some of those that's associated with obesity, you're seeing some of these are estrogen promoted cancers. So you're because you have higher estrogen levels in people with obesity, because the extra fat is acting like an endocrine organ secreting extra estrogen, that's why you're seeing an increase in estrogen related cancers in that population. So as you work to um, kind of decrease carrying extra fat and all the other ways we talk about in this podcast, you're also going to be able to bring down that extra estrogen level to where that won't be hopefully as much of a factor in driving um, this hyperestrogen state, um, which can promote certain cancer type growth. Um, so that's the third way. The, um, the fourth way that you see a connection between um, obesity and these associated cancers is that um, and, and this is kind of continuing what I talked about last week in regards to insulin resistance. High insulin levels in your blood promote cell proliferation. So proliferation means multiplication, okay? So if you have cells that are abnormal, 
and you have insulin hanging around, that insulin will drive more multiplication of those cells. Um, and unfortunately, that can also mean cancer cells. So, um, you know, basically there's pathways in your cells that cause them to reproduce a lot and it's turned on by insulin. So if you're insulin resistant, you have higher insulin levels at baseline and those higher levels are kind of constantly sort of turning on the switches of cell proliferation. And that's where it can become a problem in terms of these associated cancers. And I talked a little bit in last week's episode about, you know, diabetics who have to take insulin to try to control glucose levels. And, you know, if you are a diabetic on insulin and you want to go back and listen to that episode and it will give you some things to talk about with your physician and ways to approach your diabetes and, and in a different way, potentially. Um, but please talk to your physician about that. Um, but the goal for people who are struggling with insulin resistance and for people who have progressed all the way to type 2 diabetes is to figure out a way, um, instead of being resistant to insulin, to become more sensitive to insulin. Because when you're sensitive to insulin, when your cells are sensitive to it, you won't have to have levels that are that high hanging around in your blood to get glucose driven into the cells. So there are some practical things you can do to increase insulin sensitivity. And I'm going to talk about a few more. Last week, I talked about some of them, you know, briefly just in regards to dietary changes, but, and I've of course touched on this many times, but um, what you can do is, you know, I mentioned before, between meals, don't snack, you know, give your insulin levels a chance to drop back down between meals. Every time you eat a little insulin is secreted to tell your cells to take in the glucose and store it. And if you're constantly eating, those little spurts of insulin are constantly being shot into your bloodstream and you never get a chance for your insulin levels to drop. So it's going to be a good thing to give those levels a chance to drop. And the way to do that is to spread out your eating occasions. Um, also, don't eat after dinner. Um, you tend to be more insulin resistant naturally later in the day. And so the less you eat in the evening, um, the less insulin response you'll have to be dealing with. So the same amount of food in the evening compared to the morning, you could end up with a higher insulin response just because of the time of day of the evening that you eat something. So avoiding, specifically avoiding eating more carbohydrate laden foods in the evening is going to be beneficial to you in terms of getting your insulin levels lower. Um, now, Another thing that some people take as a strategy is they look at incorporating some fasting into um, their insulin, um, kind of obtaining more insulin sensitivity. And that's something you can look into. I've talked about that in previous episodes on fasting, if you, you're more interested in that. Um, and then, you know, also looking at what you eat. If you're choosing um, low glycemic index foods, you're going to have less of a spike in glucose with each eating occasion, and your insulin won't have to rise as much. If you're eating lower amount of carbohydrates overall, then you're not going to have to shoot out as much insulin into your bloodstream to process and store that glucose because there won't be as much glucose. So if you cut the sugar, cut the processed flours, um, and the process starches from your diet, you're going to see some benefits in terms of combating insulin resistance. The last thing I'm going to talk about, I didn't mention this last episode, but I've mentioned it in previous episodes, but in regards to increasing your sensitivity to insulin, adding in exercise 
building up muscle. Just like fat acts as an extra endocrine organ, muscle kind of acts like an extra can, an, an extra endocrine organ as well. And I talked about that, um, I think last month in an episode on building muscle. But when you increase your muscle, you will become more insulin sensitive, which is what you want. So even if you're struggling with seeing long-term benefits on the scale, you can still make changes in your habits to increase insulin sensitivity. And those will have a downstream effect on modulating your cancer risk, potentially. So all that being said, there are a lot of things you can do that are practical, doable things, even when you're struggling to see changes on the scale or changes in your extra body fat that can benefit you. These acts can still benefit you. These habits can still benefit you in terms of having an impact on the things that are driving your cancer risk. Um, To review, you know, those things are eating a lot of fiber to feed your gut the right kind of um, food to grow the right kind of bacteria so that your immune system functions better to search and destroy cancer, taking in a lot of really great antioxidants to kind of combat inflammation so that your inflammatory levels are lower, Um, addressing Um, your insulin resistance by what and how and the timing of when you eat and what you eat. So these are some steps you can take that can really potentially impact in a positive way um, your health by decreasing um, your risk for some of these cancers. So that is good news. And I hope that you can leave this episode with that sense of there is something you can do. Understanding that there is an association between certain cancer risks being higher with obesity doesn't have to mean that you're helpless. It can actually mean that you can take ownership of the specific risk factors that are associated with both and the um, the drivers behind this increased risk and focus on those drivers and really dial in on focusing on the habits you're building. Um, and this is why in goal setting, Setting your goals around what you do instead of results on the scale is going to bring you so much further and really benefit you in so many ways. Um, I hope that this has been helpful and um, tune in again next week for more. This information is for educational and informational purposes only and solely as a self-help tool for your own use. I'm not providing medical, psychological, or nutrition therapy advice. You should not use this information to diagnose or treat any health problems or illnesses without consulting your own medical practitioner. Always seek the advice of your own medical practitioner and or mental health provider about your specific health situation. For my full disclaimer, please go to www.joyfulweightloss.com forward slash disclaimer. Thank you for joining me today. If you've enjoyed this, I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things. First, please leave a review for me. This is how people find the podcast. Secondly, y'all sharing is caring. You can actually easily share this episode or a podcast entirely with a friend. Just text it to them. Lastly, if you're looking for more encouragement and direction from me, go sign up for my free newsletter. It's called The Extra Helping. You can go to www.joyfulweightloss.com. That's joyful spelled with two L's. And then when you're there, click on The Extra Helping to sign up. That's all for now, y'all. 
Don't forget to be sure you're subscribed and tune in again next week for more. 